Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. I am with Daniel Higuera today. This is his second appearance on the podcast. I'm really excited to catch up with what he's been up to. What I know is that he has been releasing his poetry on Instagram. I also know that he was the percussionist on my album Minus Eight, which is like my pet project. I absolutely love that album and I'm so grateful to him for his contribution. And yeah, he's been kind of traveling around and now lives in the Bay Area. And so let's get into it. Here we go. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you? Doing okay. Yeah. I'm I'm uh enjoying my my Mexico time. Still still doing that and we're experiencing two different time zones and two different climates right now. So this is a one of those fun um, Im- things that would have been impossible in the past yeah. <laughs> to do. Talk well, you have somewhere. a great tan, so. Oh, do I? You know, I actually think it's the lighting. It's like very strange sort of yellowish light behind me that makes me look, but maybe, maybe. Yeah, I mean, Mexico is huge. I don't know what part you're in, but I was just imagining you on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of a pathetic beach vacation person. I'm like, could you point me to the shade? <laughs> <laughs> I like to look at the sun, but I don't like to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> Sunsets only. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were in the Dominican Republic, I saw. Last yeah? year it was, Last yeah. Year? Co co facilitated two uh, yoga retreats in Barahona. Oh. Yeah, so that was fun. That was super what was, fun. What was that like? Were you like who were you teaching to in what? Type yeah, of I was working with a group called Anahata Eco Yoga Retreats, and they primarily teach vinyasa and some yoga philosophy. And uh, they kind of curate these like super fun adventures for uh, people in Miami. I mean, most of the people that went are from Miami, but yeah. Oh, how cool. So you facilitated and you taught yoga? Uh, I taught some Kundalini yoga, sound healing, and uh, led some Kirtan stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed it seemed like more than that when you were when you were um, writing, writing about, about it, it though because it seemed like it was also sort of like a heritage trip for you like you oh yeah well my mother's Dominican um, she immigrated back in the eighties to New York mm. and and yeah so after the retreat I ended up traveling around the island for two weeks. We rented a car, me and my friend, Suni, uh, her and I went around the east, east side, eastern side of the island. Had yeah. you been there before? I had been there before, but not solo-ish traveling like that. Yeah. Do you still have family? I do, but it's distant family. I'm not close to them at all. and. Okay. And yeah, I mean, the the conditions in DR are pretty rough, hence why my family left. And mm. it, it would have been um, uncomfortable for me to stay in their mm. living situation. So, mm. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I can, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it's similar to the, some of the lives that are lived around where I am. It's like, yeah, definitely. Than, yeah, different than what we're used to. Yeah, third world country vibes, for yeah, sure. Yeah, and also Spanish speaking, yes? Yes. So, I mean, that was also really nice where I could go around and not like just speak the local language and mm. enjoy the food and hang out and find the cool spots. And Oh, cool. Because you speak Spanish. I've actually never heard you speak I, Spanish, but you speak Spanish. Yeah, I, I do speak Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some people grew up with parents who speak Spanish and don't, you know? Oh, yeah. That's my brother. My brother's <laughs> sounds, sounds, uh, very much like a, a second language for <laughs> <laughs> it was i think like when my brother it was like my brother's generation um, and maybe like it, it was just very um socially unacceptable kind of in the u.s to be teaching your children this like a you know to be bilingual uh -huh. if when it was spanish of course you yeah. could probably teach them french and german but by, right. bilingual <laughs> spanish was not encouraged and then like, I feel like it's kind of flipped again. Like it's a little bit cooler now to be bilingual. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's useful. It's a whole other, if you know English and Spanish, you have the entire Western hemisphere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on some Spanish. My, my partner is uh, half Spanish and grew up in Panama. So Ooh. yeah, so he's, you know, very very much speaks the language here and i'm i get i get by but mostly also because a lot of people speak english <laughs> what part of spain is he from um he's from the northern um northwest like by portugal like oh, santiago uh, galicia? Area. yeah galicia mm -hmm. you were oh. there too right it was yeah yeah, yeah. You were just there yeah that's so cool so did you do the the camino yeah, I finished it miraculously. Wow. <laughs> that, let's talk. I want to hear about that. Would you tell us about that? Yeah. So it's a 500 mile pilgrimage, assuming you're doing the most popular route, starting in southern France in a town called Saint Jean Pied de Port. And people take roughly four to five weeks to complete it on average. And you're crossing through southern France into the Basque, through that central Leon Castilla region, and you end up in Galicia. Um, yeah. And so, walking every day, yeah? You like. I mean, if you can manage it, yes. Okay. Did, um, you, did you take some days off? I took, definitely took some days off. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's nothing that can really quite prepare you for that unless you're like just climbing up and down hills for eight hours a day for months you know it's like oh i didn't even think about that it's a lot of inclines and a I mean, lot of inclines a lot yeah, of inclines. okay so i'm thinking of walking i'm thinking like down a street but okay yeah yeah it, it, it's not a sidewalk <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, that's kind of how I prepared for it. I started, I put a 20 pound weight in a backpack and just started walking. Mm -hmm. And I got up to like three or four hours a day. I did very little preparation. And when I got there, within the first five minutes, I was out of breath. <laughs> because, 
because you start off in the Pyrenees, so it's it's a mount it's a mountain, you know. So it's a mountain range, like it's Whoa. up and down, up and down, up and down, oh my God. and very steep incline. And uh, I had everybody starts off trips with too many things, and I had too many things. You're like, don't need that flashlight. Don't need extra underwear. Yeah, I, I I shipped out like half my things basically. Yeah. And I, oh, go ahead. No, go for it. No, I was just wondering, like, so you you said it took four to five weeks, but is that how long it took for you to do it, or did you do a little bit? Thirty three days, so four okay. and a half. Well, that's not nice. yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. But so you start in the Pyrenees. That's hardcore. Yeah, you start in the Pyrenees on the Camino Frances. And you have a guide. Is that how you know where to go? No, it's pretty straightforward. They have arrows everywhere, these yellow arrows that kind of become very iconic if you if you walk it. I actually miss the yellow arrows quite a lot. <laughs> I would imagine that gets quite comforting, huh? Because in life you don't have yellow arrows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, the the simplicity of it is so extraordinary because there's only one direction to go in. Mm. And you know that you're walking towards something very beautiful and majestic um, and that there's going to be a lot of beauty along the way. And, and yeah, so it, you know, not having to make decisions is, is a relief. <laughs> how did, how did that impact like your mental clarity, if at all, not having to make decisions on a daily basis? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a lot of time alone um especially the way i approached it after the first week i enjoyed socializing walking on the on on actually walking during the day with people but i saw that that kind of hindered my own ability to process what i needed to process and um yeah it, it's it's a walking meditation you're alone and you're walking the way i approached it and there was one day in particular that was kind of one of the more impactful days. It was like nine hours walking alone. And I started off the day in a grumpy mood. And you know, those days where it's just a flood of thoughts and you just can't control it for some reason. And it was like that the entire time. And then about an hour before I knew I was going to stop and rest for the day, I summited this hill and it was like my mind cracked in half. <laughs> and then it was just peace and serenity. And I looked over the valley and there was clouds and the, the sun was shining through really softly. And there's this gentle breeze and there's poppy flowers on both sides and these endless wheat grass fields. And yeah, it was really beautiful. Was... Wow. So yeah, not having to worry about a lot of things makes that possible. Mm -hmm. you know? How do you know where to sleep? So on the Camino Frances, about every five kilometers, there's another town. Okay. A lot of these towns have been around for centuries, if not over a thousand years. The pilgrimage is a bit 
older than a thousand years. And these towns have been living off of the 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 route for as long as they've been around. Mm. And so they set up hostels that are specifically for pilgrims called albergues. Mm. And yeah, you pay 10, 15 euros and you have a, a bed mm. and you're sleeping in this dormitory sort of thing with all the other all the other pilgrims. Is it like a co-ed thing? Uh most of them are, yeah. Most of them are. Huh. Yeah. How how is how is that? I remember doing hostels when I was in my 20s, and it's a little hard for me to picture myself in one. <laughs> I've gotten a little comfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, I I steered away from the ho the hostels quite a lot, mostly because there was always some enormous person like just like six and a half feet tall who would be like snoring and like they would just reverberate the whole room so that was pretty rough and so even with earplugs in it's like you can't no, sleep earplugs don't work for that would be a wonderful invention somebody tuning in right now who's a scientist an earplug that cuts off the frequency of snoring yeah because in my experience you can't drown out the low the low vibrational sounds with the earplugs no it's it's no you can't <laughs> <laughs> maybe that exists already anyway i haven't maybe. found them so what did I, you do instead uh i booked a lot of private rooms honestly oh okay so you have that option in the albergas sometimes sometimes you do uh and then that's like 25 euros or something like that oh, that's pretty that's pretty good and then the airbnbs were also for like affordable compared to American prices where it's like 50 euros and you have like a whole apartment to yourself sometimes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you would do that like as you would go kind of? Yeah. I picked up a Spanish uh, SIM card and oh, okay. I never exactly knew where I was going to stay most of the time. So like I'd feel into like how my body was feeling and if if I knew in an hour or two I was done, I would just find the next town and mm. book something. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Did that make you anxious at all, or, or were you pretty chilled out about that? Um, I think after the first day or two, I was okay. I wasn't like, I saw that there was a lot of accommodations, so yeah. it wasn't ever an issue really. How did you hear about this? Is it something you've been wanting to do for a while, or? It's something I've been wanting to do for 10 years. Okay. Yeah. So I saw this movie called The Way by um, Martin Sheen, Charlie Sheen's father. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, um, and his son, his other son, Emilio Estevez, uh, directed, produced the movie. And he had done uh, the Camino. It was so sweet. Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's even made any more movies or yeah. what he's up to. And yeah, so he he had walked the Camino before, and he made this really beautiful movie that kind of captured the essence of what the Camino feels like. As a, a fiction or as a documentary? Um, yeah, semi-fiction. You know. Okay, like a story. Like a, yeah, like a story. Characters. Sure. Okay. Yeah. 
Sweet. So you, yeah. you saw that and you were like, I have to do that. I had, I had to do it. I, I, yeah, I was, I've, I've loved all, all things like adventure journey related. So I was like, I'm going to do that one day. And then, uh, broke up with, uh, my ex of five and a half years in February. Oh. Yeah. And it was before that was before the Camino. Yeah, so I did the Camino in end of April. Mm. And so I guess the what what prompted it so that I like context, right? So I got COVID, three months of symptoms. Same day I quit my job. That was in December. February, I uh, left the relationship. And then March, I booked the ticket. And then in April, I was I was doing the Camino. So wow that's a lot of change i mean and that's adding to we haven't talked about this yet but if you watched the previous episode of the podcast we did together you also went through cancer and brain surgery so you've been through ben- benign benign tumor yeah, yeah. but quite i mean sure yeah but still super brain intense is- <laughs> brain, brain surgery is super intense yeah you're you're humble <laughs> it's more than most of us have, have had to uh, uh wrestle with i think yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. W- would have been twice as worse if if I had to, to have like done chemo or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it it th- yeah that was that was there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's a lot of change. So did you feel like the the Camino helped you process a lot of? did you have kind of like identity issues around quitting your job or are you pretty fluid with that? Pretty fluid with that. I, I think the first 10 days of the Camino was really like grieving the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of time alone reflecting on that. And maybe, maybe identity issues around having spent. Yeah. I'm 30. So five and a half years, it's like more than half of my adult life, a sixth of my entire life with this person. Um, so yeah, a lot of my life revolved around her. And so it was good. It was, it was really good. Yeah. I feel like changing locations at the end of a relationship is not necessary, but it's nice. It's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I when I left my I wasn't even divorced yet, but obviously was leaving my my marriage and I drove to Washington and I had the good fortune because I have two kids, but one of them was in a car with my sister. One of them was in a car with me and he just had headphones on the whole time. So I listened to the song Landslide by some British artist. She did this really cool cover of it on repeat for almost the entire trip from um Phoenix to Washington. And I just remember that being so terribly healing. And I never heard the lyrics of that song before. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I'd never really understood how powerful yeah. those lyrics are. Like, I built my life around you, but it made me think about what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Like you, you no, I mean, I listened to the words, but I'd never like, own, like, I'd never thought of them as being related to my own life. Okay. I guess. So, but yeah, I mean, we, we build our identities around, you know, our, our relationships and when they dissolve, that's, 
can be, you know, terrifying in a free in kind of sense and also in a like tragic kind of sense, you know? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I don't, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm the most consistently happy I've been since <laughs> in, in the last five and a half years, really, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's brutal. I, cause, cause you know, it's something you need to do and you know, it's not going to work out and you kind of bide your time and you try to work things out and I mean, at least for me, like I just, I was in denial for a long time mm. and, and I kept, I kept sticking it out and that only made it harder and eventually, yeah. So, I mean, the aftermath of that was like me still really wanting her, you know, but like just basically forcing myself out mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, it, it takes a while for the heart to kind of change course. Mm. What do you, if you don't mind me asking, like, what do you feel like kept you for so long? I'm not that five years is that long, but like, what was the thought? Of well, five years is long for me, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it wasn't like your whole, you know, it wasn't like like since birth i guess that's what i mean like in, in the grand <laughs> scheme of things i feel like you'll you will have longer relationships hopefully but <laughs> if you want uh, yeah i think for me it was a lot of unresolved childhood trauma that mm. that kept me coming back mm. so the last year of the relationship i had started going to therapy and i was seeing this guy who combined cognitive behavioral therapy with somatic experiencing. Mm, oh, I, I actually was like watching a TED talk about that the other day. Love to hear yeah. more about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 uh, becoming a little more mainstream. The the idea of like a somatic that that like trauma is stored in the body or the experience of the body. But yeah, so I started that and. Um, you know, I, 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 I've, I've gone through a lot with my family basically. And I was basically repeating what I had seen and experienced and thought a relationship entailed. Hmm. And I, I, I think the, I didn't realize how much of my past was guiding my life really. And even the idea that, you know, I had trauma, I kind of like scoffed at it a little bit because I was like, well, you know, nothing big has happened to me. Well, besides mm -hmm. the brain surgery thing, but like nobody, nobody got murdered in front of me, you know, mm -hmm. you know, that's sort of like top oh, tier. Oh, wow. That's where you like, that's where you got trauma. Trauma is like watching a murder. Yeah. And anything yeah, else. yeah like <laughs> the trauma is okay. like yeah, that level. Of, yeah. Um, so, I, you know, that was... That is was that, is that was because at. you know other people who have had that kind of trauma and so you were sort of minimizing your own yeah okay well that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. i i mean yeah i mean other people in my family have gone through 
like very intense things. So I was like, okay, well, I haven't gone through that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So where was I? I lost my train of thought. So, so yeah, sorry. So you were <laughs> at, um, you somatic experiencing and you didn't, you sort of scoffed at, at having trauma because you hadn't, you didn't think you had experienced any. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think the, the, and it was actually from the encouragement of my ex, <laughs> funny oh, enough. Interesting. I think that, that happens a lot. Don't you think? Probably. Yeah. I, I, it's like you're, cause you ultimately, I feel like you come together to become better people and then you discover whether that's together or apart. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, but I mean, thanks to the therapy got out of it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I realized early in those first couple months that, okay, there's like a lot of memories that I've always recoiled from, yeah. you know, that I just haven't been able to face on my own. And I, through, with the help of, of uh, my therapist, we, we kind of parsed them out together. And it, everything just started making sense. Like uh, I had, I, from a personality and emotional perspective, I had dated the same person over and over again, mm. like really to the T and kind of this like femme fatale, um, seductress type. <laughs> Is that your mother? Um, in in some ways, yeah, there was there was some things I experienced growing up that uh, were um, questionable. <laughs> uh, you know, she brought she brought a lot of men home and things mm, like that. That's funny. That's my partner's childhood too. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, it, it, and it, it when things aren't explained to children, right? uh there's all sorts of ideas and emotions that take root and they kind of run off with them especially if if the the family is just one of secrecy and shame yeah and you know i mean everybody i guess has their own parenting style and stuff like that but also just may, not appropriate to be exposing your, your children to that sure yeah i mean ultimately like I know from having kids, it's sometimes it's difficult to even explain something because their their cognitive skills just aren't there, you know? Yeah, they're not there. There's some things that even shouldn't be a conversation yet. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of that. My parents got divorced when I was five. It was a messy, messy divorce. Oh. You know, my mother would say things like, you can only love your father 10% and like, oh, <laughs> it's like, you know, for a five-year-old, it's like, Okay. What's well, 10%, mommy? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and your, I would argue. Was your father from the Dominican as well? or No, I'm he's Colombian. Colombian. Oh, okay. Interesting. So you have, I mean, a very Latin background. Yeah. 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 Lots of fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so just super, super, super emotionally toxic upbringing and no outlet no ability to 
to talk about anything. And those things just festered in me for a long time. Mm. And uh, come high school, I, I was I was already suicidal when I was 12. Mm. And come high school, I was pretty resentful about most things. Um, Sorry, that that's really interesting though, because so you recognize, is that just like sort of like in retrospect, you recognize that you were suicidal? Because I would imagine like if you knew that you, you would have thought you experienced some trauma, like, right? Or is this just all sort of like you're piecing it together as a 30 year old? No, I mean, it, it's an interesting angle that you're looking at it from. I, I knew I was suicidal. I, it never occurred to me that I could be depressed or anything like that. You weren't, you weren't like associating it with something it was just I wasn't associating it it was yeah 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 Interesting. and Interesting. yeah come high school I didn't speak to my father for like a year and a half my mother was in this like relationship with this alcoholic man for like five years uh who was mm. disastrous while you were living and with with her with her yeah 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 and and then i my first girlfriend and i had a miscarriage huh. I mean, yeah I guess maybe that for the best though like i yeah for the best for sure i mean i was 16 she was 16 like oh, okay yeah it's like <laughs> you weren't <laughs> looking you weren't looking to have a baby <laughs> no no but but i did feel a lot of guilt it took me a long time to kind of you know, face that and did you feel guilt for getting her pregnant or for the miscarriage, do you mean? Or both? Both. All of it. Yeah. All of it. She suffered a lot through it too. And yeah. And uh she she would um she would say like you have no right to feel any emotions about this. It wasn't your baby. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean I loved her. Yeah. It's like her to like yeah. But she didn't get that. Yeah, I, f I feel like that's kind of a part of the narrative that is really difficult for me about like the whole abortion narrative too. It's like, I totally get why women don't want to consult their men. And also I totally get why it would be like gut-wrenching for the man, you know? I mean, like, yeah, I just, I, anyway, I, I, I think it comes down to just, human choices though and not legislating it but it it is like an important part of the conversation and you're you know you're uh highlighting that I, I guess just reminds me of that yeah 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 I mean that's it's it's what you're saying I, I totally agree with I, I I do think it's ultimately you know the woman's choice but it's uh I think outright discounting um a caring, loving partner's uh, feelings about it is also a, a mistake, but yeah, it's a, it's a little too extreme. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. So all of that, and I still really didn't have anybody to talk to, and hmm. um, showed up to high school three days in a row crying, and kind of uh, what happened? Yeah, I I confided in a teacher that I was feeling suicidal and. It had gotten to a point where it was like intrusive thoughts that were like highly creative. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, 
I, yeah, I went to the psych ward for a week and, uh, yeah. And it still didn't occur to me that I might have trauma. (laughs) Well, that probably wasn't part of the conversation at that point too, right? No, this is, well, I mean, this was like 2009, 2010. Yeah. 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 I feel like these, these concepts are sort of like, they're, they're so obvious, but they're really have only been talked about like this glaringly in the past few years and yeah, my yeah. understanding. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. Wow. How was that culturally? Like, was that difficult in terms of the, the family members in knowing that you had been to a psych ward? Like, was that kind of taboo or, or did, were they compassionate? Um, like, how did that play out? Nobody intends any harm in a family, right? Or most of the time they don't. And um, I think when my mother got the call, she just really did not understand. She was just like, she was pretty cut off from her emotions. She's a lot more open now, but she kind of just tossed the idea to the side to the point where it was like, the school was going to send me either way. It was like, you can either volunteer him or or we're going to send him. And so she finally like accepted a call from the principal and mm. was dealing with that. And she just, she was, she was angry. She was mm. angry. At you or at the situation? Maybe both. Mm. Mm. Yeah um i don't know didn't ask her (laughs) there's so many other things going on um so yeah that was that was that and my dad kind of expected me to like snap out of it in a couple months or something like that and it was yeah so not compassionate (laughs) gotcha yeah i think mental i mean mental health issues are, are pretty taboo in most families, I would say. Yeah. Certain cultures feel really strongly about not getting any sort of psychotherapy or therapy or any sort of like mental health interventions, which is (laughs) interesting. Yeah. And and funny enough, that's how people stay victims their whole life. I mean, it's like you kind of, those, those same people that, desperately don't want to feel uh less than or like they are the victims of a situation just unknowingly act out of that emotional place and before before they can even like rein themselves in they're they're creating all sorts of traumatic situations that are just like a a repetition of the past um yeah I mean, I suppose ultimately, if you are that deep into like your victim identity, then how could you possibly even get helped? Right. You know? Yeah. Because you're, you know, (laughs) things are always happening to me and I can't control it. So I can't control it. I can't. What's help going to do? There is no help for that. You know, there's no help for that. Yeah. So yeah, that's the backstory of 
well, not the backstory. That's that's kind of like early life. <laughs> that's but, really that's really fascinating. I didn't know that about you. This thing, this uh, this idea occurred to me. I, I love playing around with stuff like this. Hopefully, you're hopefully you're you're cool with it. But um, tell me if this is too much. But like, do you feel like those memories that you didn't want to look at and all these things, like maybe man, you know, manifest as like this thing that you actually had to physically remove? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, I actually had a vision under anesthesia, the first surgery of like, what was the, what was the energy that caused the tumor? Oh. Yeah. And, and it was a lot of this like sexually related trauma um, where things weren't explained to me, where it's like, I didn't have a choice about what I was seeing in my life. And and uh, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. What was what was the experience of being in a psych ward like? If you don't mind me asking, it's very interesting. So I, I was seventeen at the time, so I was in the children's psych psych ward. Um, I've heard stories of other friends going to the adult psych ward, and that's way worse. Oh, okay. It's much you were much sixteen, yeah. 17, 17, 17. So you could have possibly gone to either, but they chose children or is there no, you, 17 and under you're automatically in the children's psych board. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I was one of the more well-adjusted people there. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of like a bell curve. Like if I'm like one of the more seemingly well-adjusted people there, then there's like, then there's the people you see and you're like, yeah, they definitely belong, belong here. Um, it was very clean. There was no privacy. There was cameras in the room. Oh, I guess because you were on suicide watch or for everybody? It's for everybody. I mean, anybody who ends up there is a harm to themselves or other people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was a, 13 year old girl there that had already been pregnant three times. Oh. Wow. There was this. And she was in psych ward? Because... She was in the psych ward. Uh, I don't remember exactly why, but I knew that was kind of her story. Wow. And she was kind of voluntary, from what my understanding was like, she was like voluntarily like. Yeah, well, it sounds like her home environment wasn't safe. Right, that for sure. Probably, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, and then there was this kid there. He was zombied out. They had him on all sorts of medications. He maybe spoke one word the entire time I was there. He had put an axe in his mother. Oh my, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Are you like... Yeah. <laughs> is there like an introductions part of your admittance into this or did you sort of like one by one figure this out like how did that um I don't mean to laugh it's not I mean it's only it's like uncomfortable funny it's like whoa it, it's a dark yeah. funny it's, it's the sort of stuff that like is you, you can't make it up right it's just yeah. like it kind of belongs in a movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> Jeez. Uh, no, I mean, there was like the, there was the interview with the psychologist. He asked me what's going on. 
and he was extremely worried about me. I was crying the whole time and I was telling him about all the intrusive thoughts going through my head and mm-hmm. and uh, he was like, yeah, we're going to get you in here. Don't worry about it. And uh, he was very helpful. Went in. And yeah, there was like, uh, it was actually that 13 year old girl that I was like, kind of like, I was buddies with her and like two other people. There was about maybe 20, 25 of us in there. Oh my God. Like in one room or just no, in the whole Well, there's ward. like different, there's the, in the whole ward. In okay. the whole ward. Yeah. And she was very friendly and she just kind of explained to me like what's going on with everybody. Yeah. So she's pretty lucid. Yeah, she was yeah, like most most of the people there weren't like um zombied out like that. Yeah. Um there was <laughs> there's this seven year old that kept torpedoing himself into the wall. Oh yeah. Ow. And he had just entered in and uh yeah, well then they tranquilized him, then he was zombied out. Um, Do we know why? Um, cognitive disorder? <laughs> no, I, I think I'm trying to remember. I think I think there was like a lot of violence in his home. Mm-hmm. And um, he just had this like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all kids, right? So it's like you don't know how they're going to react to the situations that they're in. Mm-hmm. I mean, the girl had de- deliberately gotten into these like relationships with older guys oh okay when you said that I thought like man her father is oh I mean there was probably you know it's like if if this 13 year old is like gotten pregnant with three different guys already it's like she's probably learned it from somewhere yeah yeah or just you know repeating sexual abuse that she experienced like who knows yeah uh, yeah it's just there's this one kid that kept repeating uh, murcielago in Spanish, which means bat. He was just like a broken record player. He just like bat. Bat, bat. is in like a flying bat or a baseball Like a bat? flying bat. Oh, wow. A flying bat, yeah. Huh. Um, and then there was everybody else and everybody else was just like, I mean, normal <laughs> by that standard. It's like, yeah. but they were all there because they were suicidal basically. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so what happened after a week? You were just, you felt better or like that's. Felt better. I was cooperating with the therapists and they're like, yeah, you know, you, you just need to go, go to therapy. Mm -hmm. So I did, I did that for two years, but I was, I was young. I didn't really I mean, I was cooperative. I wanted to, but like, I think the level of honesty that you want to have with yourself only grows over time. Hmm. So I don't know if, yeah, it, it it was only effective to a certain point, basically, at that time. Wow, this I can't remember how we got into that, but. That was really oh, fascinating. Oh, we were talking about my ex. You're, yes. Okay. That's the last funny. year and therapy. And so she was 17 years older than me. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah interesting choice. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
you know, like definitely repeating some issues there. It was like was right in front of everybody's face and I just, it was so close I couldn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> did you meet her through like the Kundalini Yoga community or? I did, yeah. You did, oh, okay. Um, yeah, we, we had done like white tantric together several times and oh, so not before dating, but yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, so that last year uh, that we were dating, I started going to therapy and I really wanted her to also go because she kind of felt like she was perfect. And actually, we had gone to couples therapy at one point, and she actually said to the therapist, like, I don't think I have anything to work on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And um, she grew up uh, as, a, as a Jewish woman in Soviet Ukraine. Oh. And... Uh, it was already bad enough in Soviet Ukraine, but, you know, also with that very intense discrimination and right. all that, she, ha she had her fair share of trauma. Right. And, um, but yeah, um, it, it was like, a, it was one of those heaven hell relationships. It was like amazing and then like awful and then amazing and awful. And we get into these like weekly or twice weekly fights about nothing, just like literally nothing. <laughs> and I would just be there kind of like mostly taking the hits. Um, if I had to put a percentage on it, I would say it's like 75, 25. <laughs> and, um, and I, I asked her like, you know, this, like do you want to get some help and she reluctantly agreed but her whole attitude was like I don't want to work on my trauma I don't want to do that mm -hmm. That's, mm -hmm. and scary. yeah and yeah from her the stories that she told me I'm like duh like <laughs> I wouldn't I probably I would probably not want to face that either um she had a stepchild uh, no, she has a child my well no longer stepchild but I helped helped raise him oh. for five years oh okay okay and um yeah so it was it was like my life was really really enmeshed with hers well, I imagine that that was difficult then also to break off the relationship when the child's involved too like did that make it harder it definitely made it harder. I mean, it's it's a it's a beautiful thing, and him and I had a really great relationship. Uh, he would come up to me and hug me and tell me I love you like every day. Was he little? Uh, he was twelve. Oh, okay. Wow, that's that's unique. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and and funny enough, it was. He would have been the same age that uh, the miscarried child from high school would have been. Aww. So I think that was, when I started off the relationship, I, it wasn't super conscious, but I think that was something in my head.
Yeah. That's sweet. So do you, do you feel like this is, well, I suppose I, I know the answer, but it seems like this is informing a lot of what you're writing lately. Like Absolutely. Yeah. About all this stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it has been, I've always enjoyed writing. I've always felt like it's a natural strong suit for me, mm -hmm. but I've always been intimidated to share. And, and, and yeah, I already had the drums thing going on, so I didn't want to like add anything else really. And it, it's always been a core value of mine to have radical transparency. And I, I think while I was on the Camino, it occurred to me like, oh, but I'm not totally necessarily living it. I still have a lot of shame around a lot of things and this very deep-seated fear mm. and and so when I started sharing the writing I didn't really know what to expect but as soon as I did it like it was like a huge weight lifted off mm. and and I think people need to, because people see a lot of like this help from like therapists on Instagram and things like that, but nobody ever sees like from the patient side, like what's happening, hmm. like what are people's processes, you know, how are they uh, giving voice to their own internal struggles and things like that. And ever since I started sharing, I've had a lot of people just start sharing with me like what they've been going through. Hmm. And that's been very rewarding because I think that's that's the main point of of the writing to destigmatize, open up conversation, and let people know there's other there's other people going through things like you. Are you still here? I just had a yeah. little electrical outage. Okay, good. We're still here. <laughs> still here. And because I know for like the last, definitely in the last five, six years, I've felt very much like isolated uh, in, in that sense where it's like, I don't really know anybody going through what I'm going through. In, in the sense of people going through their own trauma or like specifically your background? Uh, specifically what I was going through in that relationship. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and not sure like where to reach out or who to reach out to, because part of also what, what sharing the writing is doing for me, it's like, it's giving me a, a complete space to speak my truth. Mm. Right. Where it's like, most of the time talking to other people, they don't know how to hold space for very sensitive issues, right? It's like they automatically want to come up with a solution. Yeah. Don't necessarily know how to guide your attention in a meaningful way. Um, so th that's part of it also for me. It's just like, I just want to speak and not be interrupted. <laughs> 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 I was going to ask you something about that. Um, well, first of all, 
relationships are fucking hard. <laughs> and I think one of the disservices of social media is like all we ever see are these like happy, like, like vacation shots and the, oh my gosh, let me tell you, like, no matter how amazing you think someone's relationship is, there is darkness there. Like there are conflicts that they're having to resolve. Like I've been surprised so many times thinking that people's relationships were perfect and they were not, but I think that just, we have to understand that that's normal. Like we can't, it's not, you know, it's not, um, not that you want to be in an abusive relationship, but like even the best relationships, people have issues. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah. yeah, but oh, so I was gonna ask you what, what, um, that's my PSA. Um, and then what, what about what you were going through? Did you feel no one else was, was experiencing? Um, okay, so I was physically assaulted by a Kundalini yoga mentor in 2015. Uh, he choked me and shoved what? me in the bathtub. Yeah. In a bathtub? Yeah. We were, we were friends. I was at his place and we had like a sort of contentious friendship the couple months prior to that. And, uh, I had some BO and he tricked me into putting clove oil underneath my armpits. Oh. Yeah. And so I went into the bathroom to wash it off. And he uh, Is demanded this like because it like a prank, like he thought it was funny. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And he he demanded that I don't use his towels. I'm like, I'm using my your towels because I'm burning, and you did this, and <laughs> and he comes from behind and chokes me and toss me into the bathtub. Ooh. Yeah, and so. That was traumatic for sure. That that replayed in my head endlessly for at least six months. Did he let up eventually or like how did that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like maybe a 20 second situation. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was that was rough. That was very rough. And uh Actually, had I was was my only like the first and one of the few people that I actually shared that with after it happened. Mm. Had I, for those of you who don't know, is the it's your friend and also you were staying with him when when we ended up recording just to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull yeah. people in, on, yeah, because it's not just us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I realize sometimes I mention things and then I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't give any. I guess I guess a lot of podcasts do that too, but anyway, yeah, yeah. So that happened, and then nobody from from that circle reached out after they found out, except for my ex. And so that kind of that was that led to another level of betrayal. And how did and, you like you you called people, or you mean like had I told people, or how? Well, had I wasn't part of that circle, but um, it's just that the word got out, you know, after, after a couple of weeks and everybody in that circle of friends knew it was maybe like seven to 10 of us and nobody reached out except for my ex. And, and, uh, that kind of, was he one of the, 
like second generation? No, no, he wasn't. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I if there was some sort of, I don't know. Yeah, crossover. Bond, no. Like... <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. And uh, she reached out and uh, we hung out and that was. Oh, so this was after you broke up. No, no, no. This was, this was before we even started dating. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah. So eventually we started dating and, but she had hooked up with this guy that assaulted me. <laughs> Sorry. I don't, it's, it's another one of those like dark laughs. It's it's a total fucking telenovela style. <laughs> Holy crap. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I cussed. Am I not supposed to cuss? I actually, I have this podcast as explicit because I just don't know what people are going to say and I don't want to censor <laughs> anybody. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, that that specifically was was the thing that was very 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 confusing for me um the fact that you got together with her after she had hooked up with this guy who had strangled you or yeah the fact that she had hooked up with somebody who strangled me even though it was before we were dating okay <laughs> walk exactly. me through that walk me through that <laughs> <laughs> They hook up at some point. Yeah. He assaults me in 2015. Mm -hmm. 2016, her and I are dating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so like you're mad at yourself for... It, no it was, oh, you didn't know about it. No. I, 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 you know, I did know about it, but I was okay. also 24. Okay, okay. You <laughs> so. knew about it, but you're sort of mad at yourself. Just tell me if I'm anywhere near but you're sort of mad at yourself for having this relationship with someone knowing she would go for somebody like that? No. <laughs> um, I think it's like the male shame of having hooked up with somebody who hooked up with somebody who like beat you up or something like that. Okay, okay. That's hard yeah. for me to understand, but having, you, I, I get it. Okay, I got it. I mean, it's hard yeah. for me to like, how should I say? Like I can cognitively empathize, but I don't know what that feels like. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, that's that. That's what was confusing for me. It, it felt um, diminishing, mm. like uh, like I wasn't valuing myself, or that she wasn't valuing me. She eventually cut off her friendship with him completely, but he was always in that circle. And it 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 starts getting complex because there's all these betrayals from all the people who never reached out or like I never felt safe around and so because it's, it's not just one betrayal it's a bunch of individual betrayals yeah anyways I don't Sorry, know if it's just a partner he can walk around the place freely yeah that is that is um that is a really that's really interesting. So that was kind of like the the main um, you wanted to connect with people in who had who would maybe empathize with with that. It's, well, not with that in particular, um, but anything that I had to share. Mm -hmm. you know, 
and I'm hoping that it just doesn't the writing just doesn't stay like in grief central but um, <laughs> yeah um do you know it's interesting but I don't because I also tend to like if I'm when I'm inspired to write something it does tend to be about something that has caused me some sort of like deep pain or you know at least nostalgia something like a little uh, little <laughs> and, yeah 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 and i i feel like it, it incur it's not it i i think maybe because we, we went through the same sort of like you know brainwashing of, of like you don't want to just keep talking about your grief or your trauma or your sadness or whatever because it keeps like imprinting and i think that there is like you know some truth that you don't want to be just that completely take over everything that you do but i think it's also creating something like that creates an opportunity for somebody else to look at that part of themselves and that can be really empowering i 100 agree with you yeah i I think that there is a very deep practical value in in people writing their stories and sharing their stories and owning their stories. Yeah. It, it's it's uh, it's not just like this emotional masturbation that a lot of people mm -hmm. think it is. Mm -hmm. um, and it takes many many revisits for a memory to to lose its hold over people mm, that's such a great point and i think i think the you know the like this kind of analogy that's been around for a long time like the the pen is a sword mm. the word is a sword the, our, our tongues are you know it's it's a way it's a way to courageously confront our inner demons and i think by sharing it it's it's like we're bringing it to the light and it's going to look nasty and it's going to look dark and it's going to look all sorts of ways and that's that's uh it's a good thing <laughs> well that's a nice i think that that's a really nice note too to complete on do you want to uh, tell people how they can get in touch with you and keep up with all of the wonderful things that you're doing and sharing and i'll post it in the show notes so that sure you can link to uh, my handle is at hello higgy h-i-g-g-y okay um, i follow you i follow you too <laughs> Cool. So that's the best way for people to stay in touch with you is to follow you on Instagram. Yeah. What website in the works, but cool. Yeah. Awesome. It was so nice catching up with you and hearing about your backstory. It's really, um, yeah, it was thank you so much for sharing. You were, what was the word you used? Radically transparent, unapologetically transparent. What was the yeah, ra radical transparency? Radical, radically transparent. Thank you. Radical. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>
All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye, Porter. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, y'all. Please like, subscribe, rate, comment, whatever the platform you listen to podcasts on offers you as a way to let its algorithm know that you're enjoying these episodes. That really helps. Also, there's some links in the podcast description notes that allow you to support the podcast in a way that benefits you and us. So please check those out. And if you'd like to stay in touch with me, you can sign up for my mailing list at portersinger.com. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye.